All right. Yeah. So uh, when do we start? You ready? I am. All right. Welcome to the Law of the Gosh podcast. I am here with Ari Hershkowitz. Did I get that right? Yep, you did. Uh, awesome. Unlike a lot of other podcasters. Nice. Uh, so it, it's Ari, right? Ari? That Your one person? you didn't get right. It's Ari. What is it? Ari. Ari. Oh, it is Ari. Okay. I thought I, for some reason I thought oh, I, had to, I said it wrong. Yeah, my religious name is Arie, but it's uh I like Ari better. Ari. Okay. Uh so Ari, Ari was featured in a Netflix documentary called One of Us. Um and Ari grew up in a Hasidic uh, Jewish community in New York. And they vi- they live in a very isolated community. They're very orthodox, and they live somewhat out, outside the rules and laws of the U.S. and they, what they refer to as secular law. And Ari, I believe, uh, since the last, what is it, two years now, you've left that community? Uh, on August 29th, it's going to be three years uh, since I came out as not religious. Okay, so let's go way back to the beginning, even before you were born. What is Hasidic Judaism? Well, Hasidic Judaism is uh, the ultra, ultra orthodox version of Judaism, like Judaism on steroids. Uh, They take everything way too seriously. And uh, there's rules and sub rules and sub rules down to the like the smallest details. Uh, I think the way it was developed is a the way it like came about. And I might be wrong on that because Hasidic Judaism doesn't really explain things. It's just we do it because we do it. Um, but as far as I understand, um, Judaism was like sort of falling apart and with intermarriage and all of that and. Um, people sort of kind of, you know, got together and like, I, I guess, crowned a rabbi in every like town or which like, rabbis was not a thing like a thousand years ago. Moses was not a rabbi, like Moses was a leader, but they, they started like crowning, not crowning, but whatever, a rabbi in every town and city. Anointing? and Anointing, mm. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that became uh, that sect of Hasidic Judaism. The Hasidic Judaism that we have now is an even more strict and insular. Like way back, it was more like open and welcoming one. But after World War II, it became about we we're doing our own thing. We don't let anyone in. We don't let anyone out. Uh, you know, that's the only like that's our method of survival. From what I understand, it the the form of Judaism, especially in the community you practice, was a product of World War II and the Holocaust, that this this group of Hasidic Jews believed that the Holocaust was a punishment from God for distancing themselves from their traditions and religion and integrating and mixing with the the culture at large in Germany. So 
when they arrived in the United States, they they thought they they had to appease God and uh, for the wrong they had done by coming back to their traditions, becoming more orthodox, uh, only marrying w- within the 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 Jewish community and such. Is that about right? It's about right, but it was it was also more about um, besides the fact that besides the the belief that it, it you know the Holocaust was a punishment by God and that we have to repent for that and it's like yeah we it's like yeah believe it or not we we have to, we have to apologize for the Holocaust you know like we have to apologize to God for bringing God to this uh, besides that it was also about we cannot survive any longer in this way and if we keep going we keep doing what we were doing before judaism will not continue so we have to stick to every tiny detail in judaism even if it was something that was born out of something else that was born out of something else you know not even really part of judaism was just like they call it a minhik a minhik is like something that sort of developed over time and then became part of Judaism. And from that, something else developed and that became part of Judaism. Ah, okay. That, that makes a lot. Cause I've been uh, researching quite a bit since, um, since I found out we were going to talk and I, and I came across a woman who had written a couple of books now, uh, Deborah Feldman and was researching what she had said about it. And she was commenting that, and I think it goes to what you were just saying that, for example, Yiddish, uh, we associate it as a Jewish language. It's not really a Jewish language. It's kind of appropriated to be Jewish. And even she was saying, like the the dress you you'd see, like in a Hasidic community, is more Russian in origin. And so, but it becomes Jewish in in the tradition you're 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 describing. Right. Right. Okay. Um, right. Because we did something for so many years, it becomes Jewish. And mm-hmm. if we add something on top of that, that becomes Jewish. So, like the great grandchild of an actual religious rule can now be something that you would be shunned over. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I mean, the, the, it's kind of, a, I don't think a lot of people know too much about Hasidic Judaism. And it was, it was very new to me. And um, I, I had heard of the, uh, of these communities, but I hadn't researched it really. And it, it was very, enlightening and shocking to to see the documentary but the documentary is filmed a little bit more artistic than formative um it doesn't give us too much of an in-depth knowing of your community and who the characters were such as yourself the people in there were um so can you tell us about yourself and and growing up in this community Sure. Well, I just want to say first, the documentary was not about Hasidic Judaism. It was about the story of three individuals who had left and and as they're leaving, what happened to them and how their story is developing. So it wasn't about Hasidic Judaism. Otherwise, it would have been more informative about the community. Um, So a little about myself before I left. Um, At what age do I start? Um, I mean, tell tell me about the background of your parents, if you want. Uh, my parents um, are part of the Satmar sect of Judaism, which is one of the stricter ones within Hasidic Judaism, and which is already pretty strict. And the interesting fact about them, they were actually on opposite ends of the Satmar throne war. They're like family. So when a rabbi dies, usually one of, the, one of his sons would take over leadership. 
But in Satmar, and quite often it turns into a war between two of the two of uh, rabbi's sons. And my father and my mother were, were actually, their families were on opposite sides of the Satmar throne war. Um, but they were both from Satmar, and the two are pretty similar. And uh, but they made it work. They 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 built a lovely home together, and yeah, they were from Satmar. And I don't know when exactly, like my great grandparents, or when they joined Satmar, or how how that came about. But it was it was pretty strict, and we we were uh, we followed uh, every rule down to down to the tiniest detail. So tell me, what is daily life like for a child in this community? At what age? Um, as earliest age as you can remember. Like, what what would you do regularly? Do you just go to school? I, what what do you do? Well, I don't have like a lot of vivid memories uh, from like from from my early childhood. By vivid, I mean both uh, like colorful and good i mean i don't remember so clearly besides i mean for several reasons but mainly because i wanted to forget but early childhood was uh, the daily life was pretty much get up go to Haider, which was the religious school and there for a bunch of hours and that was a combination of prayers preaching and learning uh, Judaic studies mostly, or for a lot of years only, and then uh, come home pretty late, and then you know do it again tomorrow. There was no, there was no like activity, like uh, you know, ex- exercise activities, you know, outdoor stuff. Um, there, there was. You don't play sports. There's no sports played at all. No, no. Actually, for uh, at summer camp, if I was caught with a baseball, I could get in trouble for that. You can get in trouble even for having like a basketball or a baseball or anything. Yes. Well, I say baseball because that was that was small enough so we could hide it and play with it. Basketball, we would never. Uh, that was out of the question. But yeah, we used to we used to hide the baseballs. And how how disconnected were you from? the outside society because it it seems to me in like the in the documentary that these communities are like right in the middle of new york but you, you seem to be right on the border with what they call the secular world in the documentary but there seems to be a huge divide be, between y- you and that world so what, what um how divided was that i mean would you interact i mean the also the the schools you go to are only hasidic jews so was there any interaction with the with the outside world there was some interaction with the outside world, but it wasn't really interaction with the outside world. It was more like interaction with other people. I don't know, like uh, the cleaning staff at school. You know, they were Jewish, and the uh, the janitors. Like, like that was pretty much it. But I, I didn't speak English. Uh, definitely not well enough to keep a conversation going. And I wasn't allowed to go anywhere else, like shopping or use the subway or listen to uh, non-Jewish music. Even Jewish music there is not Hasidic. And non-Jewish newspapers, all of that was uh, completely banned. So the only interaction that I had with anyone else was was not Hasidic and Jewish. It was uh, pretty much people like the janitors at school. 
that's an aspect I found really shocking when, when I, I, that I didn't know until the, this documentary that you're only uh, taught Yiddish. The children there don't know English despite being in the middle of New York. And, and this yeah. is done to isolate the, the, the people from the outsiders, correct? Yes, because they're like the way the way they work is if if we uh if we keep them away from having the if we don't give them the ability if we take away the ability of them to like learn anything else the only option they have is to stay pretty much it, it's um how would i say that um you know they they make the the outside world they make it out to be such this evil monstrous um entity or notion that's out to get us so it's not like we we don't talk to them because we're not allowed to we don't talk to them because we're smart we're smarter than than talk we're smarter than you know how do I say that um we're better than being that kind the kind of people who would like go talk to these goyim so you're taught that you that you're better than than the world around you, and that's why you, oh. that's one of the reasons you say. Are they also taught like the outside world is evil? Uh, yes, very much so. Uh, we we were constantly told, uh, you know, Isis Sonalianka, which is uh, every non-Jewish person hates every Jewish person. That's pretty much what it is um it's pretty much like what we were told uh we, we were it was constantly repeated i said so in Leankov, um that a non-jewish person hates a jewish person we were constantly told how um how how would i say it i'm still you know I still, i'm still having trouble finding the right uh, words in english sometimes we're told how like Compared to animals, uh, the non-Jewish people are, and the reason we don't talk to them is because they're simply like we're we know better than to fall into these traps of you know internets and riding bicycles on the street and all of that stuff. We know better than that. And there's no phones. There's no, I mean, uh, cell phones with like internet connection or anything like that. There's no internet computers for you to search the web. A t how about well, TV or, or anything along those lines? Oh no. T TV was banned a long time ago. TV was, uh, there was a whole war against TV, uh, quite a few years ago. I, I wasn't, it was before my time. Uh, they won that battle, the rabbis. And I don't, I don't think any Hasidic Jew has a TV at home. If, you know, maybe it's like a percent of a percentage, uh, a select few. But when it came to the internet, it was a, it was a bit tougher for them. Um, so they 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 actually had a, which is a, a big convention, and I think the number of people that were there was between like sixty and eighty thousand people. I'm not sure. They they had rented out a stadium, and they sold out all of the seats, and they had to rent out another stadium for the rest and it was a whole convention against the internet and there were rules put in place that first of all nobody can have uh internet at home for whatever for any reason no internet at home that means computers phones anything if someone does need internet it's for business only and it needs an internet filter controlled by the sector Judaism that uh, one is a member of 
And for most people, that means like only email open or like a very select few websites. And the rest, some people have the kind of filter that is um, uh, like filters each page individually. So like I would search for a crown on Shutterstack to use as part of a graphics project. And because the crown is semi-resemble skin color, it would be blacked out. Yeah, I, I remember the the images in the documentary of the stadium, uh, but I didn't know that that uh, convention was especially to talk about the internet and banning it. Yeah, that was the that was the only goal of that convention. Like most Hasidic rabbis came together and wrote something. Uh, I think it was called a Kolkora or, or something, where like a bunch of rabbis signed something, like a bipartisan thing where like we all come together to fight this evil thing we may be on opposite ends of this uh you know we may be on not we may not agree on a lot of things but we all agree that the internet's got to go yeah that's um what about books was, was there any allowing of books that were not about judaism well yes but uh, there, there had to be there actually was censorship in, in mm -hmm. books. Besides censorship within books, there was this thing called, um, I don't remember what it's called, uh, but most of the books that I read that were allowed in the house that I grew up in, the first few pages of the book had little letters from rabbis, respected community members that were signed, and they said, I have read this book, uh, this is kosher. Um, most of the books, they, they still do that. Uh, even like novels, you know, just mm -hmm. random stories or whatever. They had the first few pages with a couple of they, they they had to show it around to. If it wasn't a requirement, but if you wanted people to buy the book and allow it uh, in their house, uh, uh, the the efficient thing to do was to get a couple of rabbis to read it and approve it and sign it. So there was censorship on that front, and on like which books are available in Jewish homes, and then. There was censorship within books, like the the educational books that we had to use in school were heavily censored, as you can also see in one of us, um, where they blacked out with like magic mortars, uh, a lot of parts that uh, didn't agree with them. Yeah, they blacked out um, with a marker the faces of all the girls in what looked like a book for, you know, kids in elementary school. Yeah, like when I was a few years old, and 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 that was actually I think that particular book was was at the girls' school. The in the boys' school, the education is significantly worse. Like the secular education, uh, we start secular education a lot later, and we only have it for four years, for an hour at the end of the day, and most subjects are skipped, and it's just a giant mess. So for us, we had the censorship a lot worse. How is it worse? What what would they censor that made it worse? Uh, pretty much anything. Like uh, almost on every page, there was uh, half of it scribbled out, and we couldn't we couldn't see what uh, what was there. And and mostly it, it would be like anything that didn't agree with them. You know, mm. uh, um, English word that could get someone to question, uh, even if it's not directly linked to like God or anything, but. Um, how would I explain it? Um, they, they weren't holding back on the censorship. They, uh, 
anything that even get, could even remotely get someone to think about contemplating to question uh, was censored. What about the word atheism? I did not know that existed. You didn't know you never... knew it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I never heard the word atheist. I knew it as apicoitus, which means um, apicoitus means uh, what is it? Well, atheist, I think. Heretic is is that is that the word? Is that how how you pronounce it? Yeah, heretic. Yeah. Yeah. But a heretic so, is a person who has committed a like um, a sin against a religion or a spoken against a religion, versus an atheist is just not a non-religious person. So is that word more uh, closer to heretic? I'm not sure. Honestly, mm. I never knew the difference, but the there are certain levels um, mm. in Judaism which uh, from which you can see the value of a person's life. And that is, um, I'm going to say it first and then explain it. Mm. It's not going to make sense. Some people, you, uh, you uh, how would I say it? Like, like you, 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 you push them down, but you don't lift them up. Some people, it's your. For some people, it's like your choice if you want to do that. For some people, you lift them up, but or but don't push them down. Which is, let's say you're in a scenario where you see that that person drowning. Um, is that person a Jew? Then you have to save them, and you you're not allowed to not do anything. You're not allowed to drown them. If the person is not a Jew. It's really up to you. If you want to save them, go ahead. If you don't feel like it, you want to finish your cigarette, then you don't have to save them. Um, and then an epicurus is someone that if you see them drowning, you actually have to keep them underwater and you're not allowed to help them. You actually have to um, basically keep them underwater. So that, that's how you would see how much a person's life is valued. And epicurus is like the lowest of all of that. Uh-oh. Wait, so wait, I get the difference, like if they're not Jewish, but what is the difference between those two people that you just don't help versus you push them under? Well, wait. someone who is Jewish, you have to help them. Right. Someone who is not Jewish, but religious or not exactly an atheist or anything, just like just wasn't didn't happen to be born as a Jew. Right. Uh, then it's like you want to help them. You're allowed to. Okay. Yeah, like God is allowing people to save someone else from drowning. That is so nice of you. Um, uh, but if you don't want to help them, that's totally cool. It's like you see them drowning. You, you, you know, you haven't finished your cigarette yet. You don't, you don't have to rush to it. And then if someone is openly an atheist or heretic, then in, and you see them drowning, you actually have to keep them underwater. And you're not allowed to help them, even if you want to. Okay, what is this? Is this something that's taught to kids? Yes. Uh, do you remember kind of what age you were taught this? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, okay, so the first time I remember this was, I think I was between the age of 10, around 10 years old. And that is actually something we, we learn in Mishnayis, which is part of the Oral Torah. And mm-hmm. we learn we learned that in Mishnayis. And that's also something we learn when uh, in the 30 days or a year following someone's death, there's like specific parts of Mishnayis that are that people learn like in, in their like in their honor. Then it helps them like 
go up a level in heaven or something. And it was in that part. So at any age when someone when someone has lost a relative, that's when they definitely become familiar with that part of Mishnayas. Other than that, uh, it's somewhere, I think it's somewhere between the age of 8 and 12 where you would learn it the first time. Um, is there anything else you you could add to your religious um, upbringing or teaching that you think would would be surprising or people would be unknown to people who are just kind of familiar superficially with Judaism? Honestly, I think I'm the wrong person to answer that mm -hmm. because a lot of this stuff is not surprising to me because I grew up in it. Right. And sometimes when I tell it to people as like, you know, casually, without thinking that I'm dropping a bomb right now, and people are, I, I, I get a, such a shock response. And I'm wondering, why is that so shocking? And I, I, I don't realize that I was born and raised in this. And I, it's so normal to me. So I might be the wrong person to ask this. But I can just tell you, if I take a step back from religion, and I, I let's say I look at it like as like a third party and just think about, for example, how circumcision goes down. Mm -hmm. If religion didn't exist and someone starts talking about circumcision, they would be put in a mental facility, especially how it's done uh, around here. How is and, it done um, in, in your community? Uh, it's done when the child is eight days old and uh, they cut off most of the foreskin, bite off the rest with their mouth and bite then suck out the a little bit. Yes, that is actually how it's being done. Uh -huh. Bite off the rest with their mouth, and then the rest they suck out a little bit of the blood, and then spit out the foreskin with the blood into a cup full of sand. That's that's exactly how it's supposed to go down. And to me, it wasn't shocking a few years ago because I just kind of like knew it all the time. But when I tell it to people, they get really shocked, and I, I just, like I only realized after after seeing the shock on other people's faces how messed up this is. If you saw my face right now, you'd see a face of shock. Um, uh, I was shocked before that too, before about what you said before. Um, I, I want to know what you think is the difference in upbringing between men and women. Like, what? How would you see the woman being treated, or what liberties did they have or didn't have compared to the men? What What was the gender differences in the dynamic of of your community, at least in the age you were there? Right. Uh, well, uh, the men are, the boys are, are bred to be a rabbi or as close as, uh, or as close to that as you can possibly get. So um, it's learning all day, very little of anything else like secular studies or, you know, like stuff that's going to help you in life, like, uh, um, you know, like gym class or anything like that was like, that's not going to help you in your path to rabbi ship. So we're just going to cut it out. The women were raised to be a mother, uh, give birth to as many children as you can, uh, cook clean. Uh, like this is your job in life. And so they were actually taught a little more like English math and stuff like that. So they can, pick up, um, pick up, to, like take some of the weight off of the men. And 
they were also expected to be a lot. They're also expected to be a lot. Um, how do I say that? Like a lot. There's they 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 definitely are second class. It's it straight up is that way. Mm-hmm. There is no choice uh, for them in any way. Um, unlike the men, where it's like it's like a little easier. Like my my mom still does not have a driver's license and is not allowed to do to have one. Still, mm-hmm. in 2018 in New York City, women can't drive in your community at all. At no, at nope, any age, they're not allowed to drive at any age. Never. And, uh, and you were saying there's no bicycles used either. No, w- women cannot have a bicycle. Definitely not. They they're not allowed to drive one to ride one either. Can women go out by themselves? Yes. Mm-hmm. So. I know I, I heard in, in some Muslim countries that is not allowed, but it it, it isn't that way here. Okay. It, it ends up being that they don't often go out by themselves because they have 10 kids at home to take care of. Uh, but there's no official rule against that. But, but like the shopping centers and the malls and all of that are made out to be uh, these evil places that are trying to, you know, lure us into a secular lifestyle. So we should stay away again, not because we're not allowed to go there, but because we're smart enough not to fall into the trap. Right. So they, so technically they could go. There's not exactly like a hard teaching against it, but women usually can't go out by themselves because they have so many kids at home. And usually the, they just go locally around the area they live in, which is all Hasidic Jew. Right. And another thing, they're not given the necessary tools. They don't have a driver's license. And and this may also be surprising, but it wasn't surprising to me until a while ago. A lot of Hasidic women, a, lot, a significant amount, don't have like credit cards or their own bank account. Um, I right now work in a uh, Hasidic, uh, a place that serves a lot of Hasidic people. Uh, one of the things that are available in that store are um, kiosks, internet kiosks, which are filtered. So even if someone needs internet access, they can go to that place, pay by the hour or whatever, and use a use a desk there, which is filtered, where, where the internet is filtered. And when they pay for it by the hour, and they they they, they come up to the desk, and you know I, I give them a quote, a price, uh, and and they a significant amount of the women ask me if they can give me a credit card number because they don't have an actual credit card to swipe. They just have their husband's number and they enter it. And so it's like, they're not given the tools to go out and do stuff because a lot of them don't have credit cards. They don't have a driver's license. Um, they, they're not like, they're not well equipped to do it, even though there's no like official rule against doing it. There's a moment in the documentary where you were approached um, by a Hasidic Jewish man. I don't know if he was a rabbi, uh, but you were sitting in a park and you were on a computer and he asked you about the Internet uh, or Wi-Fi. Was, I, I could tell he was upset about it, quite a few things, the way you were dressed, your hair. But was he also upset the fact that you were just using a computer and a Wi-Fi? No, that that's actually not at all um, what he was upset about. So I'll just give you a bit of background about that scene. So we were filming uh, in the park 
actually we were filming how I was in a park looking for a job at the time. I was trying to get clean. A job would help me, you know, some, give me some stability. And, and I was looking for a job and they were filming that. And then here comes this Hasidic guy and starts talking to me, asking me, is there free Wi-Fi in this park? And at first I thought he wants internet access and I was so glad to help. I told him there's no free Wi-Fi right here, but I'm using hotspot for my phone and please, if you want the password, I'll give it to you. And um, he said, no, no, he wants to know if there's free Wi-Fi because he wants to prevent others from having free Wi-Fi. And he wants to know if the reason I'm in that park and not somewhere else is because that there's like a there's like a leak of Wi-Fi going on in the community in that area, um, and then we 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 started conversation about all that, and he said, "Well, I told him there's free Wi-Fi there and there, and uh, you know he he started talking about it becomes a hangout for all the Hasidic Bukharan, which is the the teenagers. They come there for the free Wi-Fi and whatever, and then we we, we started talking about that." So he was actually he was trying to prevent the the evil of the internet from breaking through uh, our defenses. Well, let's go back to whatever point it is that you started to question all of this. Well, when did that start, and and why? Um, it started around when I was twelve. So I, I, I went through uh, some pretty horrible experiences when I was younger. And I didn't, um, besides the fact that I had some untreated mental issues and they, that my parents were praying away and the fact that I just didn't get along well with everyone, some um, things happened in my life that uh, got me to actually seek the help of God. So I, I was basically asking God, what am I doing wrong here? Like, if this is happening to me, there must be something that I'm doing wrong. And I was praying and asking, uh, what is it? What's, what am I doing wrong? I really want to know. I want to better myself. I don't want to hurt you. You're like, you know, speaking to God, like, I don't want to disobey you, but I don't know what it is that I'm doing wrong. And uh, then I, I was just ghosted on by the highest entity that I knew about, uh, got no response on that. So I started asking questions from the people who were supposed to help a child when they're uh, confused, my teachers, my parents and everyone. And they all gave me the same, you know, vague non-answers. You know, we don't ask that question and uh, uh, that's harmful thinking. And that's when I started questioning if, uh, if this whole... Judaism, specifically Hasidic Judaism, is really uh, is really has something solid behind it. What did that lead you to? Did you try to look for books? Did you try to get, use the internet uncensored? What, what did you do about it? Well, at first, uh, I was dealing with the immediate issue, which was my pain, and I I started to self harm. Mm-hmm. Um, it it. Uh, it kind of worked. Um, physical pain, unfortunately, um, helps dull mental pain. Don't know how it works, but it, it, it worked. It was the closest thing to painkillers that I had at the time. And I was also, I started looking for other ways to find my answers, like you said. And 
um, I was looking for any access to, to, I would ask questions from strangers on the streets, like the randomest questions. And a lot of people looked at me really creepily, but, uh, I was really desperate for answers. I, I would go to places like GameStop. I don't know how popular GameStop is. I know it exists in New York, but mm-hmm. what what is it? Is that, it's a like a gaming store, I think. Okay. Um, so I would go to there was a GameStop not far from the Haider, the Yeshiv, the like the city school that I was in, and one of their like gaming devices had a browser, and I would go there. It was on display for use, and I would go there and I would browse the internet. And I would be there for as long as I could, and I would go to like these internet cafes. Uh, I don't think those exist anymore. Like people have smartphones now, but quite a few years ago, uh, there were internet cafes and I, and I would go there and print out Wikipedia pages and then take it back to school with me and read it. And I would like mark with a red pen what I don't understand and go back and print out the next article. And that's how I started my research. You said in the documentary, Wikipedia is a gift from God. Yes. Yeah, that's how I felt at the time. It was so amazing because it's not clear in the film how desperate I was for answers. I was so desperate. And I'm a very curious person. I'm a very logical and rational person. Things just have to make sense to me. If you want me to live a certain lifestyle and be 100% in a certain way, you got to give me some answers here. And that wasn't available. Then it was really desperate for information. And the way I first got my information when I got first a basic phone was a service called ChaCha, which I don't think it exists anymore. It was a question answering service by text. I could text a question and then it answers and they had people answering. And then I got a smartphone uh, with internet. And uh, at first I didn't know about like Google, Wikipedia and all of that. So <laughs> this is, this is weird, but I, I the way I got my information was by like reading the newspaper, finding like ads, seeing billboards, and then typing in the URL, looking it up, and reading up about it. And funny like note about that, I actually used to love pop-up ads online really? because that was yes, yes, because that was like a little bit of information, like a little treat of information that I didn't have to work for. Like I didn't have to go out and find. Um, like a like a billboard or anything, and look for a URL. It was like a treat. I I found one URL and that gave me another one, and I was so ha- I was like that should tell you how how desperate I was for information, any information that I could get. But at some point I stumbled upon Wikipedia, and then I was I was like high on that for a couple of days. It was it, that was like a crazy experience for me. G- give me an example when you say you were printing out Wikipedia pages. I mean, Wikipedia has everything. So you, you're, you're, you're at what age here at this point that you're doing this? Um, I think I looked back on it uh, when I first found Wikipedia. What was it? Thirteen? No, not thirteen. Fourteen. So okay, like okay. let's say let's say fourteen. Later. You, yeah, you, about. You print out. You go to an internet cafe. You can print out a few pages from Wikipedia. What do you print out? Considering you don't you've ne- you don't know almost anything about anything really, I guess I'm so curious. What do you, what does a person print out in that case? Well, I, it was 
anything that I could like, like see on the street, like if I would go on the street and see like a commercial for like tacos, I'd be like, that looks good. It looks tasty. What exactly is a taco? Let me look it up on Wikipedia. So like it, it wasn't even about like immediately going to the to the, the you know the heavy stuff philosophy and religion and everything. It was just like what is a taco? I want to know what a taco is. So you didn't even understand the world around you yet. No, absolutely not. And I, I was very much shielded from that. Wow. See, my intuition, and I think a lot of people might be thinking like you were going on there and you might be searching for science and philosophy and history, but you were, you were looking up, you know, what, what is a taco? Where does that, where does that come from? <laughs> That's Yeah, what is a taco? Yeah. I was really curious what those are because they look really delicious. And like everything that I would see on the street. Recently, I actually found one of my old hard drives where I, I, I backed up. I had a flash drive where I would like save PDFs of all the Wikipedia pages and I... A couple of years ago, I backed up all my flash drives, and I found a hard drive of that. And I was actually with a friend when I found it. And we were going through it, and it was um, it was embarrassing, but it was also kind of like a really good, um, like, oh, I remember those days. Those were somewhat fun. Um, and I, I looked over the list, and it was, you know, normal stuff, like everyday stuff, like, I'll say it again, tacos. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, you know, particle accelerator. <laughs> right. And and everything in between. Uh, I actually, uh, in one of those, I'm going to send you a, a picture of this later, of that whole folder. Okay. And like atheism is in there, particle accelerator is in there, and, you know, all, a bunch of science stuff and like thought-provoking stuff. Mm-hmm. And then like really, really simple stuff. I got to remember the, the the simple stuff that was there. You, you should. I think, I mean, that's that's the most interesting part about it, I think, that you tell me that, you know, you can look up anything on, on Wikipedia and this, this magic fountain of knowledge and you want to know what a taco is, cause, but that's, that's fascinating. Because it's something, you know, everyone else uh, takes for granted. And it's not some foreign thing that's really far away from you. It's just right, right outside your community, right? Like, this is New York. Like, there's tacos everywhere and there's all kinds of foods. Yes, but I still didn't know what all of that is. And and later later on when I got a like a better smartphone that could play video and I would start like watching like TV shows and movies and I got a, a lot of knowledge from that. That's that's when I started looking up on Wikipedia everything that I would see in a movie. And and interesting point on that actually. My very first movie was Air Force 1 uh, with Harrison Ford and I watched that on a three-quarter inch by three-quarter inch screen. It was 90 by 90 pixels. It was like an MP3 player that I had that was considered kosher that I I flashed another firmware on it so I could play video on it. And that's how I saw my first movie. And, uh, you know, when it got to the part where he says, get off my plane, I was like, oh, they were on a plane up until now. I just realized that. (laughs) Oh, you didn't know they were on a plane at the beginning. Well... Well, not literally, but it was like it was a three-quarter inch by three-quarter inch screen. Right. Okay. 90, yeah, yeah. Ninety yeah, yeah. by ninety pixels, and it's not really how you should or want to watch a movie. Okay. So you couldn't even visually really see it that well. So you were kind of you right. Know so I, I got my information in like little bits and pieces, and I had to put a lot of energy into like translating that information into something that uh, into something that I 
could actually learn from and like put together a picture of what secular life looks like. So like I got a lot of my references from Family Guy and we all know that's like a horrible reference at mm-hmm. what life actually looks like. And this is actually true. I knew about Frank Sinatra, but I wasn't sure if he was real or a Family Guy character. Oh, because you had only seen him in Family Guy? Yes, I only knew about Frank Sinatra and Family Guy. And and I, I knew about that character, but I wasn't sure, is that a real person mentioned in Family Guy or is it a Family Guy character that they made up? What were the favorite things you were consuming? The movies, Family Guy, Wikipedia, or was it just all so new and exciting that you just loved it all? No, it was it was Wikipedia mostly. Wikipedia yeah. was just so awesome. I think back of it. I think back to those days, and honestly, I kind of miss those days a tiny bit because I was like, it's like when someone is in the desert for so long and they just water, simple water, is so refreshing. And and it's like, what is it? The suspense of waiting for so long uh, for something. And then finally getting it. So that was actually like I was high on Wikipedia. Like I, I was I, I couldn't stop smiling when I found Wikipedia because it was so amazing. And I, I missed that feeling of finally having that glass of water. I find it fascinating because I speak to a lot of people who grew up in extremely religious families, sometimes cults. So, you know, a lot of them are very straight up real cults all over the world. And. I'm always fascinated by the fact that there's some people who grew who grow up secular and look to join fundamentalist religious groups. And then there's people like you who were brought up in these communities completely isolated, but it seems like there's just something inside you you just have to know. Like you have to see what's, you know, on the other side of the wall, right? And and I can't and I imagine that's not how everybody feels in your community some people are no, very, absolutely like, not. right like that that's that's not like it's not like every other child you knew growing up necessarily wanted to do what you were doing and i imagine a lot of people when they get older they're very conformed to the community so i just wonder if there's some inherent need in some people there's like a gene or something there's something biological for some people where they're so inquisitive like because, I mean, you were just brought up in the most isolated box you could possibly put somebody in, and they couldn't keep you down. They couldn't keep you from lo- looking, right? And I no, I was not going to stop until I have answers. And honestly, I yeah. still don't have a lot of the answers, but I'm going to keep searching. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now, I mean, well, so where does the story go from there? I mean, you're so well, you're consuming this stuff, and you're 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 seeing this world. Did you did you want to experience more? Did you? I mean, where, where does where does the story go? Well, first of all, I, I wanted to tell you uh, just uh, build on what you just said. Um, so every everybody is looking for like a meaning in life. Everybody is because you know we all die at some point, and it's very comforting to either know that there is something waiting for me after this life. That's like a very comforting thing. You know, I'm doing all these good things and I'm going to get rewarded for that. So it's like, I don't die. I don't ever die. I just move on to another phase. And there's also, it's also very comforting to know that you have a purpose in life. And for a lot of people, it is 
it's like it is like a drug it's like you know i have god and that's like a one size fits all answer for every question that i have something goes bad god is testing me or god is trying to reward me for this later something goes good oh my lord you are so good to me you know that's it's a really good meaning in life for me though that didn't work because i need an actual answer i'm not i'm not okay with you'll find out when you die or just believe it'll be okay. I'm not okay with all that. I, I need actual answers. Now, you asked me where I went from there. Um, I, I really, really wanted to leave. I realized that there are no answers where I'm at now, and there might be some answers in other places I really wanted to leave. But at the time, I saw that as an unrealistic wish because we're constantly told that people leave they they end up dead they end up in jail they end up in rehab they uh you know and they they keep saying that everybody comes back at some point they regret it when they're 60 so don't make the mistake of leaving and then coming back when you're 60 having wasted your entire life and they keep pointing out to uh people who left and you know I spoke to them yesterday they're so unhappy um, so I, I really thought it was unrealistic and that, and that, that was very, uh, like soul crushing. I mean, not soul crushing, soul doesn't exist, but you know what I mean? <laughs> um, um, it was heart wrenching. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a better yeah, term. Wrenching. Good one. Yeah. Good save. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I thought that I, I'm never going to be able to leave and, and, and that that's it for me. So my next option was, okay, fine, I'll be in the prison, in this prison for the rest of my life. Might as well enjoy it. Well, not enjoy it, but might as well not suffer as much. And I, I turned to substances. Substance abuse. You, 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 Substance abuse, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you and to drugs, yeah. Uh, that went on for quite a while and just, uh, just ruined my livelihood. Mm-hmm. Did, it, what, did you get into it really bad? It was pretty bad. In total, I, like, from start to finish, well, well didn't really finish, but I'm sober now, but it's a lifelong battle. But from when I first started using until now, I was hospitalized eight times for substances. Not all were life-threatening, but a couple times were, like, my heartbeat at 211, and it was like, let's get him to a hospital before he has a heart attack and that kind of thing. Uh, there was one time where I the screen just turned to black. Like uh, I basically passed out and then woke up later. Um, so not all were life threatening, but I was hospitalized eight times and it got pretty bad. And um, yeah, so to answer your question, was that completely a product bad. of uh, of depression? You think of of not of this light you sh you saw. Of, of the outside world and then you just couldn't have it according to your community right it was like i i wanted answers and i was told and it was made very clear to me that you don't want to go there you know those people die those people are bad those people you're not going to make it out there and you know you're just going to come back when you're 60 and regret it and and so if I can't go there, this is my only option, and this sucks, then, you know, 
unfortunately, substances work really well at numbing the the harsh reality of life, the the uncomfortable reality, whatever reality someone is, and that's usually, uh, at least in the circles that I've been in, why people turn to drugs in the first place in any scenario, you know, religious or not. Reality is horrible. You don't see a way out of it. Might as well make this reality a little easier or at least be extremely numb and not be aware that you're in this reality. Yeah. So you you went to a re- uh, rehabilitation after that? Yeah, in in Florida. But first, I came out as not religious. Oh, okay. um, right around the time when I first tried to get clean. Okay. And um, who did you come out to? Well, family? everyone at the same time. Everyone at the same time. I I, I posted on Facebook a picture without payas, and I I wrote. If you go back to my like my profile pictures on Facebook on of August of 2015. I posted um, a picture of me without payas and a beard, and I was like, "This is me now. Deal with it." Can you explain payas? Payas is the side locks. The, mm-hmm. the side locks a good enough explanation. Yeah, yeah, the curls on the, on the side. Yeah, you, the curls mm-hmm. on the side. Mm-hmm. So I cut that off. Posted a picture on Facebook. I wrote, "This is me now. Deal with it." And just from that, there there was a storm after that. But before that, like. It was a long planned decision. Like it was a long planned plan, I guess. Um, but at the same time, it was also an impulse decision because I've been dreaming of that day for a long time, but I always knew that it's not going to happen. And even after I realized that, yeah, some people do make it, I realized that my family is going to drop me, my friends, uh, I'm going to be like, you know, a, an 18 year old with no one in their life. And so I like held back on doing that. Like my parents knew what I was up to, but they didn't, but it, but it was kind of like a status quo. Like nobody talked about it because I hadn't come out, I hadn't come out as not religious. Um, until I got more like, um, until I like developed a network of friends, uh, within the, uh, um, the sober community and, this one time, Friday night, I was um, and uh, I was invited to hang out with a couple of recovering addicts um, in Manhattan, and uh, I went on the train. Friday night is when Shabbat starts, so I, I put on a hoodie and sunglasses in the middle of the night, and like snuck out so nobody would see me go on the train, and it was great. And they invited me to hang to a picnic with them the next morning. And it was it was in August, and it was really I was like ninety degree weather, and I wore a hoodie, and you know I covered up and everything, um, in, in fear that someone would recognize me going on the, on the taking a train on on Shabbat. And when I got there, I was still wearing my hoodie, and and covering up, just just in case someone walks by. And I just realized, I mean, I just I just I just got sick of it, and I took out my phone googled for uh, the nearest barbershop i went there told him to cut it off and then went back to the picnic when i got back it was like people who who i I just like my new friends were like i I feel like i've seen you somewhere i feel like we've met but i don't remember where wow you must have been really nervous at that last moment when you went into that barbershop though you you tell it kind of quickly but i i that that must have been 
very hard to like let let the the barber actually cut those. How did you feel at that moment? I was freaking out. I was really freaking out, but I realized that uh, that's it. I can't live like this anymore. I, if I stay, I'm gonna go right back to drugs. And I was clean then for like uh, for like a minute, maybe like a, I had like a month clean, maybe, and like maybe just a couple of weeks, I think. And um, it, it was clear to me that if, if I stay here, I'm gonna relapse. I'm, I'm and then, and I'm not sure if I'm gonna make it out again. So. Um, yeah, this is going to be a storm. This is going to be hard and nearly impossible, but I I have no choice. I have to, you know, I have to leave, get out. So you, so you're with your haircut. Now you go back to your community. What, what happens to, does everyone just freak out or they're angry? What's going on? So I was hiding at first. So that night I snuck into my parents' house without being noticed. I wasn't like I wasn't ready for the storm that's about to come. I knew it was gonna come, but I wasn't. I just tried to push it off. Uh, but the next morning, I the next morning, I uh, as I left the house, I got up. I didn't put on a hoodie or anything that would cover my face to show that I don't have a beard anymore and pay us. And I just walked out of the house. My mom saw me and uh, she didn't say anything. She was just she didn't know what to say. Um, uh, and then there was like a week of this awkward silence in the house. There was a giant elephant in the room that nobody wanted to bring up. And in that week I walked around the house openly without payas and everything. And my siblings were like, you know, if I would like walk past them, they would like, like sort of walk away from me being like, like afraid of I guess uh, not just a f- not really like afraid of me, but like afraid of this new thing, um, afraid of what just happened. And it was I was kind of relieved um, in a way because I knew that there's a storm coming and I and I wasn't ready for it. But I was also anxious about it because it was going to come eventually. Might as well get it over with. And the end of that week. Um, one day I came home and my mom, uh, my mom asked me, uh, "Who are you? What are you doing in my house?" As if, like, you know, I'm a stranger who is trespassing there, and I, I didn't know what to respond. And I just, I just walked, I just walked away. And not long later, my dad finally, you know, said, to "Ari, we got to talk." We sat down and we started talking about it, and. I was I was freaking out internally. Uh, the, the the gist of the conversation of what he said was, uh, "This is a house with rules, and you do not live here if you don't adhere to those rules." He actually didn't use the word "adhere." That's too high vocabulary for a Hasidic Jew, but that's that's what he said. Um, this is a house with rules. If you don't follow those rules, you do not live here. I asked for specifics in trying to see if there's maybe like a middle ground where we can meet and maybe we can all be happy. Um, it was clear that there is no middle ground. Um, um, all I told him was, you know, I'm staying. This is where I live. And uh, he made it sound like, uh, you know, he was going to call the cops on me and and have me kicked out. That didn't end up happening. Well, I... 
I basically told him, like, this is where I live. You're not getting me out of here. And I really thought he was going to call the cops and get me out, but he didn't. And over quite a few months, we slowly learned to make it work as a semi-happy family. So you hadn't left yet then? Well, it is technically having left because it's not a physical thing. It's the coming out as not religious is when all hell rains down. Oh, at this point, you hadn't come out as non-religious. No, when I cut off the beard and pace, that's... That, that was that's that was the, the only thing that w- had upset like, him. That, yeah, that that is the moment... Um, that's like how someone comes out as, as not religious. That's that's like the official, not official, but it, that's, uh, you know, he knew what I was up to. He knew that I was breaking religious rules, but that is the moment he realized that I officially do not want to be religious. I am moving oh, in a different direction. Up I until see. then, he thought he is going through a phase. He doesn't follow all the rules right now, but, you know, with God's help, we're going to get him back if we pray hard enough. And then that's when he realized that's it. Uh, he just took an exit, uh, you know, he just took a turn on the exit and he's out. Oh, so you hadn't said to him, you'd become non-religious. That act of cutting your hair was a sign to him that you were sending that I'm not religious. Yes. That's, that's when they all realized that I am done with this. We, we don't talk as much as I would want to actually haven't spoken to them in a while. Um, they're not, they're not so happy about um, the fact that I got a GED and then I'm going to college. Um, that that kind of upset them. Um, and we we have arguments. We had arguments about that, and then um, we haven't really worked on you know starting uh, starting to talk again. But then I stayed there for a while. I had a really good friend uh, in another city, not far who let me stay with them, um, you know, sometimes for a week or more. And so I, I could like escape often, but I was still living at home. Uh, but I was in constant fear that uh, at some point they're going to get sick of it and kick me out. So people in your community, even the men, don't get college degrees? No, they don't even have a high school diploma. I think it's like 98 or 99% of them graduate high school without a high school diploma, like graduate school, you know, with the, the age of high school, like they, they get out of school at the age of 18, 19 or whatever, and they don't have a high school diploma. Uh, most of them still don't. What do most people do as jobs? Uh, uh, I think uh, most of them, they, they, they get the jobs where it's, uh, where it's like all like family owned businesses type of thing. Like they, they all, they all work for each other. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. And mm-hmm. and uh, the poverty rates are actually really high. And uh, I think uh, what is it USA Today that re- um, they published an article about the poorest town in every state in the U.S. and the poorest town in New York is New Square, which is highly populated by Hasidic Jews. I think like almost entirely um, populated by Hasidic Jews with like a what is it? Seventy-seven percent of families dependent on government assistance to put food on the table. Seventy-seven percent. And then the second poorest town in New York is Kiris Joel, which is a town entirely full of Sarmachasidim. And Kiris in New Square actually has the highest 
percentage in the country of families dependent on uh, government help to put food on the table. I think 77% is the highest in the country. And how many people uh, of Hasidic Jews are in this community in, in where you lived in, in New York? I, I don't know an exact answer to that. Um, I think I've heard the number like 300,000 families. Oh, 300,000 yeah, families or 300,000 300, people? People. people. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what, what exactly it is, families or people, but that's the number I've heard. Yeah, I think the documentary um, said something along those lines as well. So it's, it's, I think, which is quite a lot of people. That was a lot larger than I would have imagined there were. So I can kind of see how they would skew a, a statistic on political on, power. Oh, also that, also that, yeah, I was going to say that they skewed the, the statistics on poverty in the towns they live in, but yes, they would probably also have a lot of political voting power, I imagine, uh, to, if they're that, if that, that sizely a population. Yeah. People have been trying to, to get, um, you know, the, the legally required education into Hasidic schools for quite a few years. Yeah. Fed, an organization that, uh, I'm closely working with. Um, I think they, they filed the report over three years ago uh, with the New York State that Hasidic schools do not uh, follow the the legally required subjects. They they do not teach the legally required subjects there that they absolutely have to and it is absolutely necessary in life. But because of the political power that they have, nobody is doing anything about it. Um, no politician is going to go against i don't know what is it three hundred thousand votes in new york city that could make a break a vote i know that's a large population that's that's a and you and and hasidic hasidic jews do vote then right oh yes they they vote and they all vote according to what the rabbi says so like it's like a flick of a switch you give me what i want i give you three hundred thousand votes Interesting. See, I, I was I was kind of suspicious of certain things along those lines when I was watching the documentary, and I thought, although you know, I don't want to sound conspiratorial, especially when it comes to Jewish populations. You know, you got to be careful with that. But I I, th I thought that considering the size of the population, that they probably wielded some political power. But I wasn't even sure if they voted, considering all the restrictions they were. So I'm um, th thank you for for letting me know that you know. That they do vote, and and you probably you're probably right. They probably all vote in unison, right? As whatever the rabbi says, that's probably you, you'll get close to what a hundred percent of everyone voting as the rabbi says, right? Exactly, and all the kids, like every time there's an election day, we're reminded of it, you know, days in advance. All of the kids, uh, they take home like uh, flyers with them to the parents. Uh, they take it home from school with like a copy of the. What is it, the ballot? Is that what it's yes, called? Yes, the ballot. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly like say this name is what you should vote for. This name is what you should not vote for. Like an exact list. And people just go in with that and they copy that into the the ballot sheet. And then th that's how everyone votes. I see. So like a lot of people, they don't even research who am I voting for. It's like they take the paper with them, copy it, you know checkbacks for checkbacks and then they leave what was the first thing you tried to eat in your more liberated state 
uh, like a specific food that I've always wanted to try. No, no, no. After you, you, you kind of separated more from this community. What did you want to like? What, what did you eat? Is there, did you want to try new foods or? Well, first, uh, I didn't go right into non-kosher food. Okay. I went to the less kosher food first. So kosher is a certification um, given by a rabbi saying that this food is considered kosher. Um, and a lot of people have their like standards of which rabbi I trust. So we had our like uh, kosher certificate, a list of kosher certifications in our house that we eat from that. Uh, what is certified by those listed that list of rabbis? Everything else is considered less kosher. So first, I went to that. Lightning did not strike me at all. Uh, I I made it through. I I think I think it was the very first thing I had that was less kosher, like some some candy or whatever. Um, but the very first time I had uh, food that is you know one hundred percent not kosher was like street meat or something. Um, I was, it was before I came out as not religious. I was high in a park somewhere. I got really hungry and just went to, uh, you know, one of those food trucks. And I, I was a little scared at first, not because of, you know, the religion and something is going to happen, but it was like, this is so new. I'm not sure I'm gonna, I'm not sure I know how to eat non-kosher food the right way or something, but it just, it was very new and very unfamiliar, but it was just street meat. It wasn't any specific food that I looked out and wanted to eat. Well, how was it? How was the, the food from the truck? Uh, I think it was great. I was high. I can't remember really. <laughs> well, yeah, everything's uh, going to taste good at that point, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was delicious. It might've, it might've been really bad, but I don't remember. <laughs> Um, do, is there any food you do remember like you were when you were trying trying for the first time uh, bacon oh uh, oh bacon you try you add bacon how was that yes I love bacon oh it's, nice it's just man. so so unique and awesome I mean I I'm not strong enough to be vegetarian or vegan um, I wish um but yeah, bacon is something that uh, I feel like a lot of Hasidic Jews are really, really missing out on. So true. Uh, I'm a bacon man. Uh, have you had like a really great bacon burger? Uh, yeah, I, I have bacon in every burger that I have. That's the point of a burger without bacon. Good man. Um, <laughs> uh, do you have... Do you have um... I should say, I, well, you know, I'm not going to ask that yet. I want to ask you about the documentary from Netflix. I was curious about how that came about. How did you, did you get approached for that? How did, were they allowed to film a lot of these scenarios and, and scenes? I mean, how, how did the, the whole documentary thing work? So right about the time that I left, uh, I was uh, sort of consulting on social media with um, uh, someone who's kind of like our rabbi. So the OTD community is, is what we call ourselves. Uh, OTD stands for Off the Derech, which is Off the Path. And it's really, I think, a shame name that rabbis gave us and we adopted it. Um, so in the OTD community, we don't have a rabbi, but there are some, like, you know, people we look up to. One of those people is Ari Mandel. 
um, I had reached out to him before and he helped me a lot. Um, really just supported me a lot. And as I was contemplating leaving, what am I doing? Where am I heading in life? And about the time when I came out as not religious, um, I was talking to him and he told me, Hey, I have this, uh, you know, this, uh, filmmaker friend of mine wants to, you know, make a film about, um, you know, Hasidic Judaism and, 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 you know, leaving Hasidic Judaism and, and what happens. And, would you be willing to meet with them? And I was like, fine, let's, let's meet. And, um, that's pretty much it. Uh, I didn't like audition or anything. Um, we met at a restaurant, uh, one night, uh, I met with the two directors. We, uh, they asked me every question one can be asked, uh, about their life. And at the end of it, uh, I was like, all right, when do we start? And I actually had no idea what I was getting myself into at the time. I thought it was going to be, you know, like an online film that was going to be screened at the local coffee shop. I had no idea how big and explosive it was going to get. And I'm glad it was that way. Um, otherwise, I might have chickened out or um, not been my true self. Right. Do, do you, is it something you want to see that community change? What what do you mean by that? Because I mean, I saw certain scenes with the with the with a rabbi you were speaking to, and he says, you know, well, you you know, you're asking us to change, and we're not going to change. You know, the Siddics have been here for for a long time, and we're gonna we're not going away, something like that. And this is just the way we do things. Do you want them to change the way they do things, or do you, do you think that? there needs to be a lot of change in, in that community. Well, there definitely needs to be a lot of change. Um, uh, I don't think I am the one person who's going to be the one changing that. I think, uh, there's, there are a lot of people working on like several fronts, one of them being education. Um, there are some people, uh, working on, um, uh, raising awareness in specific areas like, uh, sexual abuse, domestic abuse, and, and those kind of things. Um, uh, I, I definitely do want to see change because um, I'm not the kind of atheist that is, you know, all against religion. And, and uh, well, I, I personally, I think religion is very harmful, uh, harmful to society, harmful to individuals. But I also can see how some people find comfort in it. They live their entire life. I think it's a life wasted. That's just my humble opinion. But they live their entire life and they are actually happy. They think that it's something, there's something great waiting for them on the other end. Well, they never find out. They're never disappointed because, well, they're dead. Um, so it, it's something that I'm still like researching, like where I'm at with. So I, I definitely want to see change, but I don't want. It's not like I want to see Hasidic Judaism eradicated or anything like that. But you want to see it progress. With, more I want towards, to see progress, yeah. progress, and I want to see. I want to see it heading in the right direction. And honestly, most of the things, the most of the problems in within Hasidic Judaism, uh, like a lot of the problems, not most, are problems everywhere, like sexual abuse. That's a problem in every community, even the best of the best. And I, I don't have any actual like data to look at to see if uh, if it's a problem there more or less than anywhere else. But one thing where I definitely see a problem 
is uh, and what happens after uh, a child tells their parent, this happened to me, I'm confused, uh, what's going on? You know, what is the next step that happens? Um, you know, instead of getting the kid a therapist, they, they just say, I don't think that happened. Stop making up stories. And that is an area where I want to see change. Like there's, there's a lot of problems in the community. Um, and there's, there's, but there's a few problems that are very unique to Hasidic Judaism and actually fixing those problems wouldn't necessarily be contradicting to Judaism. It's kind of like, I think there's a great like line in the middle where everyone can meet on that. Mm. How do they handle law and rules in that community? Do they call the police and use secular courts often, or do they keep it very internal and isolated and consult with rabbis when things need to be resolved? How does that work? So officially, um, a Jew is never allowed to call the cops or you know file a motion in court against another Jew for any reason, no matter if it's as, if it's as horrible as rape. You do not call the cops. Um, you handle everything in the internal courts, which is called the Besden. Um, so <laughs> there are some scenarios in which a Besden would give you permission to move on to a secular court. But otherwise, if you go to court, uh, uh, you're, you're not looked at in a good way. And I remember actually one time when I called the cops on a neighbor of mine. I was, I think it was, I was 13. Um, I got into like a fight with some other kids or something happened and they, uh, um, I remember what it was. I, I ended up chasing them into their house, their apartment and their father, I was 13. They were 13, just kids playing, having a little fight. And their father like really beat me up, uh, in a bad way. Uh, like my head was bleeding. So I ran home and I, picked up the phone, dialed 911, and I, I told him what happened. And I saw the shock on my mom's face. Like, he's 13, and he already broke such a big rule. Like, oy vey, what is going on here? Cops came. Uh, they spoke to everyone. And as they were talking to my parents, my dad said, no, uh, he, I, I think he just, he didn't mean that. He just was trying to make a false claim here. We're so sorry you were going to discipline him. That didn't happen. And, uh, you know, everyone just moved on. Well, I want to ask you about your religion. But before I, I ask that, I want to tell you a story that I think you'll like is that in preparing to talk with you, I obviously watched the documentary on Netflix, One of Us. And I was at my parents' home and I was watching it on my laptop. And I, I thought, like, I need to watch it now because I'm, I'm kind of running out of time and we had planned to talk. And uh, so I'm sitting there watching it. And my, my, my mother kind of asked, like, oh, what are you watching? And I explained to her your, your story and that I'm going to interview you and the community of Hasidic Jews. And she's like, what, really? I didn't know that these, these people existed. And she, she sits down. She starts to watch. My, my family doesn't really sit down and watch, like, a movie with me. But she started to watch. And then my, my father's like, what are you watching? And then they sat down and they watched it the whole way through my whole family watching on my laptop. And they were so captivated by what they were watching. And that, that's rare. Like I, that hadn't happened uh, before that they where I'm watching. Cause I, you know, I could be watching many different things, but th they just got so intrigued by your story. But there's a moment where you 
towards the end, you were in, I think, a Christian church. And so they were wondering, did yeah. you convert to Christianity? Uh, but here you're telling me you're, you're an atheist. So did you experiment with Christ Christianity during that time? Did you ever consider yourself a Christian or something? Or was it just to kind of to feel out or what, for knowledge? What was that? No, I wasn't. I never considered myself a Christian. But mm -hmm. when I was in rehab, it was a very emotional time for me. Uh, rehab is honestly one of the hardest thing I one of the hardest things I ever went through. And considering everything else that I went through, like that says a lot. And it was uh, it was very emotional. Like they, they they went through my entire life and like brought up every you know opened up every old wound that they could and and try to patch it up. Um, so it's, it's a it's a very uh, brutal brutal uh, healing process, and I was very emotional and and you know I remember I was constantly being told uh, you know had you given God a real honest shot you would have seen the light you know as they say mm -hmm. and you would have seen what we see and everything would just be so much better so I was like fine I have nothing to lose I'm an emotional wreck um, I'm barely clinging on to sobriety fine I'll I, I'll do it. Uh, I don't think it's going to work, um, but I'll give God an honest shot. I went to the God that I was familiar with. I started putting on tefillin, which is a religious like thing you put on your arm and head when you pray. And I, I, I started practicing Judaism a little better, started going to Shabbat meals and consulted with a rabbi and everything. And it wasn't working. I gave it a real honest shot and it wasn't working. And I, I, I was like seriously skeptic about God, God's existence. But before I, you know, consider myself an atheist, got to give everyone a chance. Uh, so I went to the Calvary Chapel. I went to Christianity and that made even less sense to me because I, 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 you know, having known Judaism, I felt like Christianity was like, we want religion. We want to control other people. But Judaism is kind of going a bit too far. So we're like, we're going to remove some things. We're like, we're not going to go so hard on them. So I felt like like people then took Judaism and tried to add a little, like, you know, creative marketing to it. And it just felt cheap. And <laughs> that's, I was like, okay, right. that's definitely not working. Uh, it's like they, they like circumcision. You know, it's mm -hmm. like you want people to, to follow your religion. And you got to remove circumcision. You, you're not going to tell them that they can't do anything on Saturday. You're not going to. Like, it's like, basically they rebranded it and it was like new and improved Judaism, try our new flavor. Um, and that's what it felt like to me. And that didn't, mm. didn't like that either. Uh, and I also gave it a real honest shot. I went to church and I tried it, spoke to the pastor plenty of times and no, wasn't working. And then, and then I just bounced around between religions and, uh, different versions of spirituality and all that stuff. And Eventually, I came to the realization that they all have one thing in common, uh, blindly following a God. So why not go straight to the source? I started researching within myself and seeing if uh, the existence of a God makes sense at all. And it doesn't. I try to be, you know, devil's advocate. And I, I really try to convince myself that in some way a God might possibly exist. But I just can't. I can't see it. So uh, I officially identify myself as an atheist. And then it went to like an atheist Jew, and then it went to culturally Jewish atheist. After I realized that I can be culturally Jewish and an atheist. Is that, I was going to ask you about how you identified as, as Jewish. Is that your, how you consider yourself uh, culturally Jewish now? 
Yeah, I'm a I'm a culturally Jewish, uh, Jewish atheist. You happy with the with the feeling of being an atheist? Uh, well, it, it's not like a, a feeling. Atheism is not supposed to be like a satisfactory good feeling. It's more like a um, it, it's a realization. It's a it's like a common sense realization. It's not for me though. See, I, I've always been an atheist, so. I was never religious at any point in my life. So I'm very curious as to if there's any change in feeling or psychology you have when you just realize and conceded the fact, Hey, I'm just an atheist. Is there any change in that, in that feeling? Yeah, it it was, I calmed down a little because I was like, I was looking for all these answers in a God and I realized, you know, I, I was like really angry at God with god at first because it was like seriously i'm a good citizen and this is what you're doing to me like what kind of what kind of what kind of evil being are you um and once i realized that you know god does not exist so it wasn't like a you know me against god god against me thing it was just like okay life is unfair and a lot of people suck and you know, it's not like this notion that is out to get me. And I, I made peace with the idea that I'm never going to have some answers that I'm that I'm looking for. And so it was kind of like, uh, you know, radical acceptance. How do the how do Hasidic Jews see Israel and the idea of Zionism? Because I heard they're not pro-Israel. Is that true? Some of them are not. Uh, Satmar, the sect that I was in, uh, is very anti-Israel. And they constantly have uh, protests about it. And uh, today, actually, they had like a a big, uh, like a general assembly or whatever of uh, a big part of Satmar, where they were just like all speaking against the state of Israel and everything. And, uh, and yeah um can can you explain why you you i mean when you would hear about israel or zionism what is it that you were taught that you that your community was against it because it just seems counterintuitive to most people to hear that there's an orthodox jewish community in america that's anti-israel right well they're not anti-israel they're anti-israel as being a jewish state so it's nothing Mm -hmm. against the place it's against the having our own state because in Judaism it's, 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 you know, it actually doesn't make sense to me either because like on, on one hand, their political power here is massive and they control a lot. And then on the other hand, they're like, no, we shouldn't be in charge. We should just, you know, live our lives in peace and not do anything, uh, you know, to interfere with anyone else. Um, but it's like, but you are, you're, you're messing up a lot of things politically. So it's uh, it's kind of contradicting, but also they feel like a Jewish state is a mask for a secular Jewish state, which they're not okay with. Ah, I see. I see. How how do they how do these uh, communities see the the secular Jew that most people in America are familiar with? Do they consider them Jews? No, not at all. They're they're they pretend to be Jewish, but but we know the truth. They're not Jewish. They're not Jewish in any way because most people have um, an understanding that Jew- Judaism and to be a Jew has two connotations. One is to be kind of culturally, ethnically 
Jewish in a way, and the other way is to be religiously Jewish. Do, do they not see them Jewish on any level at all? Well, in Hasidic Judaism, if you're ethnically Jewish, you're destined to live, to live a 100% Jewish life, and Hasidic Judaism is that 100% Jewish life. So if your mother was Jewish, I think in, in Islam, it's, it's, it's whether your father was, is, is, is Muslim, that, then you are Muslim. Is that, is that true? Yeah, you're right. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's passed down from the father. In Judaism, it's uh, if your mother was Jewish, then you are Jewish, and you're destined to lead a 100% Jewish life. In Hasidic Judaism, that be- the belief is that is the Hasidic way of life and nothing else. So if your mother is Jewish and you're not living a Hasidic lifestyle, then you are a very bad sinner. So they, while you're technically, while that person would technically, while such a person would technically be Jewish by ethnicity, they're not Jewish by religion because they're not 100% Hasidic. And in that case, anything like uh, marriages wouldn't be allowed with those people, with a secular Jew. No, absolutely not. Mm. So where are you at today in life? You're studying? Can I ask what? Uh, yeah, well, I have about 14 months clean now. Um, I hit a year. That was really exciting. My family actually threw a, like a party for me, which was I was shocked that they did that. They actually broke some rules uh, there. And uh, I, for a moment, I thought they're coming around. But then uh, the whole heated argument about my education started and then um, went right back to what it was. So I got my GED, which is now called TASK, um, with the help of Footsteps, this wonderful organization that is mentioned in the film. And they've they've really backed me up in so many ways um, and got me into a, a high school equivalency program. I am now officially a high school graduate. I have my diploma and my bedroom wall. I'm so proud of it. Um, and I'm going to college. I start on August 1st. Uh, Footsteps helped me with that as well. Um, I'm going to Brooklyn College and I'm going to study computer science. And Footsteps was mentioned in the documentary. Can you explain what that is? Well, Footsteps is an organization that is helping people from Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox backgrounds live their true life, whatever form that takes. If you're not okay, if you're stuck in that community, you want to live a different lifestyle, whatever that lifestyle is, will help you. And, and, you know, most of what they do is most of how I've been helped by them is, first of all, the footsteps community that they got together, which is a really amazing support network. And they also have a lot of volunteers who help people in so many ways. And they, they help everyone with education and uh, get getting into the right high school equivalency programs, colleges, scholarships, um, and pretty much everything that they missed out on. And that's how I've been helped by them. And they have, they have, they also have so many programs, uh, um, you know, social workers and they're starting an initiative on, on substance uh, abuse and they're, they're just amazing. And it was started by people who themselves left uh, these um, communities. And have you been asked to give talks uh, on your experience after the documentary came out? 
Yeah, it was mostly Q&As following a, a screening. There were a couple different uh, talks and different things. I'm actually in like two, three days, I'm flying to Australia. I'm going to be there for almost a month. And there's um, a couple of speeches there. And uh, Lemud, uh, Lemud Oz, Yom Lemud. And I'm also going to visit the um, Pathways Melbourne organization, which is like the Australian version of Footsteps. And they, they've... They've they've been a wonderful um, a wonderful help to the the local community there uh, the local OTD community there and uh, I know Leah and Mark who founded the organization they're amazing people and I, I look forward to meeting them and uh, working with them there uh, so yeah I'm, I'm have been invited to speak here and there great I mean. You you didn't leave that long ago, so I think you still got a lot of experiences coming your way, and a lot of things still to learn that I imagine you're really excited about. Oh yeah, there's I mean traveling for one. I've been doing that a lot, and it's uh yeah. it's uh it's addictive. Yeah, I mean I know I've 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 lived in quite a few countries. It's a lot of fun. it's it can be hard, but man, is it exciting to oh yeah yeah. I mean, so I mean, keep in touch, uh, Ari. It's it's been a lot of fun talking with you. Uh, can people find you on social media, on Twitter, perhaps? Uh, yeah, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all over. Um, on my website, I have all of these links. It's reh.me, like a r i h dot m e. Um, that's where uh, um, you can find the links to it. Um, and please, I, I just wanted to say to anyone listening who feels like the black sheep in their community or is struggling with addiction or really anything where I can lend a supporting hand, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, I know what it felt when I really needed someone to help me and um, really just uh, like, I'm sorry, that sucks. I'm sorry you're in this situation. It's going to get better. So if you need that right now, please don't hesitate to reach out and, and on any of the social media links or anywhere uh, on my email or that's also on my website. I'd love to help. Yeah, I mean, if anyone is listening to this, I'll have the link in the description. And for any reason you just uh, can't contact him or want to contact me first, you know, I'll, I'll give a, sh uh, I'll drop a, a message to Ari and ask him if uh, if he can if we can make a connect there with somebody and I mean your story is very inspiring and it, it reveals uh, a part of the United States and a community that has been hidden I think for a really long time and it, it's and since I speak with people from so many different religions I see so many parallels there's so many similarities and essentially, you know, people are kept under control in pretty much the same way. There's not a lot of ways to keep people under control. There's only a few. And it's it was really interesting to hear how you just couldn't be allowed to stay under somebody's control, that you just had to liberate yourself. That's it's really inspiring. It's really cool to, to hear that. Thank you. Okay, thank you. 